So this is part two of an interview we did with Chris Begany, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Exeter. And we spoke with Chris in the woods for a long time about issues around gender. And it was such a long podcast that we decided to divide it in half. So this is part two. Hope you enjoy it. To the Forest School podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherland. There's, do you know Scroobius Pip? The, the, so he's got a really good, um, he's a spoken word artist, oh, right. yeah. um, and he's got a song called Doubt, Doubt Shall okay. Always Kill. And it, uh, you know, and it's lots of that, and it's set up of like things that are slightly taboo, but actually they're not. Mm. Um, it's got a long section where it's like the Beatles are just a band the Rolling Stones are just a you know stop idolising all these things and one of them is thou shalt not think that every man who plays with a child who is not their own is a paedophile some people are just nice (laughs) and that resonates to me so hard because especially when I'm not here I'm in my setting I'm comfortable everybody who's come here has seen a picture of me and knows that I'm okay and that I've got safeguarding certificates everywhere but if I go out and I'm like, I'm really good at play, and I'm really good at like oh, yeah. all this stuff, and I not, I don't do it. I yeah. don't, you know. Yeah. I just go like, okay, yeah. I'm really gonna sit back and yeah, oh yeah. That's really interesting because I've never really. I mean, now that you say that, it's kind of obvious. But like, the kind of if my if my equivalent of that is like, oh, I might not uh, wield a power tool around because that's not my place the outward perception of that is not that I may be a criminal (laughs) if I wield a power tool whereas your backlash your potential negative opinion is actually really high stakes isn't it which is why I I don't I never took my kids to any toddler groups other than here because I did go a couple of times with my wife because I felt like I needed to go with with her to, to hold my hand and go I have a reason to, which is really stupid, isn't it? To go, I've got kids. That's the reason that I yeah, should be right, here. Right, but right. I felt like I needed to go. I, I nearly, um, I might cut this out. I nearly lost it with a. Uh, my son had his uh, latest round of uh, injections of, mm. you know, they didn't do one in each arm. And um, it's interesting having a mask on. People don't read your faces as well. Yeah. yeah. So this nurse did not know how pissed off I was uh-huh. that when I arrived, she went, oh, giving mum the day off today. Mm. And I nearly yeah. punched her in the face. <laughs> and then she was like, and I went, he chose. We, you know, we were both at home and we went, you, you, we're going to the doctors, who would you like to go with you? Yeah. And yeah. he, yeah. he yeah. spends more time with me because he comes here. Yeah. And so he went, daddy, yeah. daddy's yeah. the one that's going to come. And the, but the, like this nurse had gone, you must be, and then the same as like I don't know if you ever get this as well, but like a dad's babysitting today, yeah. and you want to go fuck sure, up, it's my kid. Sure, yeah, 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 yep. oh. yeah. So the uh, so a couple things have come to mind. Um, one is a similar sort of personal experiences. My partner and I were talking about this a few months ago, where th- it had never occurred to her that I would have this experience. But when I'm um, out. Um, 
especially when I don't have my daughter Milo with me, um, and I like smile at kids with a mother, often a mother, coming by, I usually don't get a reciprocal smile from that mother, but it's more of a guarded sort of mm -hmm. reaction that I get. And my partner, Tyler, who's female, would like, well, I've never had that sort of experience, that sort of thing. Um, and similarly, there's been uh, situations where, like, you know, our, we're in the grocery store or something, and, and Milo will sort of, like, run off down the, the aisle way or whatever. And my partner will say, you know, when you're with her, you got to chase after her pretty quickly the minute no, she no, disappears. No, no, no. And, and I was like, <laughs> but you've got to understand how people are reading a little kid screaming and a large bearded man chasing <laughs> after that small yeah. child. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, these, these sorts of gender dynamics had, had you know, had not sort of occurred to her. Um, and of course, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not trying to gripe about it. I'm about the most privileged <laughs> set of, of social identities yeah. you can imagine. Um, but there are unique experiences where, um, yeah. I think just happens. it's just for me. It's uh, it's interesting that I would say it's only in the parenting childcare sector that I ever. You know, I I was working with um, somebody else who was writing a blog about diversity and different privileges. And I wrote down all the list of privileges I had from when I went to uni to when I, you know, what I do now. Yeah. And the only bit of non-privilege I had was parenting yeah, and childcare. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, just that thing of, yeah. you know, and, uh, and also there's, uh, we've talked about it before, but you could spend your entire life devoted to child development and, um, you know, theories of learning and, and all these things. Uh, and in a way that somebody in another field might not have to, I still have to give deference to uh, as, as a mum's opinion mm, mm, mm. in a way that you, 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 you know, you, do you know what I mean? Well, you I was going to say kind of the opposite to that. I was, was going to say about, um, so if you're thinking about places where you have privilege and places where you don't. So if you say like parenting is the one area where men may experience like a lack of privilege or lack of kind of respect and kind of equality there. But it's, the, it's one of the fields which I, and lots of people will say this, um, you don't need any qualifications in order to do it. You don't need to have passed any exams. You, you don't. don't. I don't know that I but would say do, I could go into childcare as easily without qualifications. No, I mean in terms of parenting. So oh, okay. it's not given the respect that it deserves. So I believe that you should be paid to look after your child. If you choose to stay at home and look after... If, if you pay somebody at least, what is it, at least £5 an hour mm -hmm. in any kind of childcare setting, usually a lot more, if you have to pay somebody to do that, if you're choosing to do that yourself, you should be being paying that wage, being paid that wage, I believe, um, in business hours. So obviously, you know, at the other times, that's just like family life, right? But if you make that choice, because it is a choice, um, then you should be paid for it. But you're not paid for it because it's not seen as valued, as a, a thing that requires any kind of special skill, yeah. and, the, and it's a very female domain. So again, you've got that kind of like, well, women are not experts, women's work is not valued, yeah. it's not something, mm. you know, and, and I'm not against, if you are going to be paid for it, I'm not against kind of like more support for parents in terms of reading lists, in terms of learning, in terms of, you know, I've done, a lo I've done loads and loads of kind of like parenting classes and courses about children's behaviour various different reasons but that's not obligatory and I'm not necessarily mm -hmm. saying it should be obligatory 
your life is your life but it's seen as a kind of like that's something you do if you are a problem human being you're like a problem if you're adult, failing in some way you're yeah. on the li- li- you know you're a potential drug user or you've got a family member in prison mm. or you're kind of problem family or you've got a problem child with a label yeah. and yeah. that's really the only reasons that it's kind of okay yeah. to go to those kind of parenting classes whereas for it to be a kind of much more widely available support system yeah. for a job because it is a job you yeah. know and, and some people don't of... like it's a job and they farm it out to somebody else and that's their choice you know yeah, yeah. but there's anth- there's sort of anthropological stuff isn't I- I've read in the past that has said that more hunter-gatherer societies and where they would do lots of mixed age play and you know society as a whole is a bit more open they they are perfectly competent at um, parenting at 14 15 because mm. their entire life they've been around babies and young children and whatever you know it's not this weird thing that gets completely compartmentalized and you know parents will do mothers will take them home and don't don't bring them into the world don't bring them into the workforce or into the actual society like yeah. keep them hidden yeah. and then when they become valuable that's when you can come out and yeah. and do all these things yeah. And it's, it, like I say, it's a chicken and an egg thing, isn't it? Because you don't see children, then you need help parenting. But if you saw children, then you wouldn't need help parenting. and you, it, Or you might need less... You know, I think about what an absolute racket NCT is. That we've got to... Uh, which, I don't know if you know... So it's... Uh, I don't know what NCT stands for. It's basically a, a way... National Child Care Trust or something like In the UK, it's essentially a way of bar- buying middle-class parent friends so there's a free Hmm. you'll get there there's a free (laughs) version that councils put on that is this is what your labour's going to look like and you go you know evening classes for what all the you know how do you change a nappy how do you like you know wipe this direction but not this direction and yeah. You know, all it's this very stuff. short though isn't it's it? very it's not short. very much funding for and it so you might have a, t- a tour of the hospital very quick thing about what breastfeeding is yeah. thing about the, yeah. the birth very kind of biological goodbye and then NCT is a paid thing which mm. is longer so you are buying middle class friends because they can afford to pay for this so that when yeah. you have your young children and it's a local group so yeah. you know just with a it's yeah. I mean I feel it's bad looking it. I feel yeah. bad looking because lots of people it's been a real lifeline for them you know mm. and it's like otherwise. I'm not saying it's not valuable that's the, it, but, but it yeah, yeah it is but hopefully everybody should be able to access that valuable yeah. resource equally exactly. yeah. 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 yeah and and you know there's there's stuff isn't there that's saying you know um, uh, a pound spent in early childhood um, yeah. support and development actually pays off ten thousand times yeah, by the time yeah. that they reach young adulthood and yeah. stuff and so I'm sorry, we're not really talking to you about gender. We've just started oh, yeah, chatting yeah, now. Well, yeah. but um, we just went for a wee break, but before that, you had like a couple of like mental post-it notes. Oh yeah, let's see if I can remember any of them. Um, so one, um, when you were talking about um, sort of like having a, a tutor come around to girls after they've answered a question correctly mm-hmm. and say, "You got that right. That was mm-hmm. awesome." You know that sort of thing. Um, just sort of reminded me of some some interesting research um, looking at kids performance in math classes um, and how that changes as a function of a female teacher's own levels of math anxiety. Mm-hmm. So the ex- extent to which they themselves have certain anxieties about whether they're a competent math teacher or not. And essentially what, what this research suggests is that um, you can see boys and girls in this class performing equally well at the beginning of the year, but then those boys and girls diverge 
by the end of the year, they've, they've changed such that the girls are doing less well. I think they also are reporting less interest in mathematics at the, the end of teacher. the year with the same teacher wow. across the year if if that teacher has stronger math anxieties. And because so the of idea, the gender or just any... Um, I don't think it's explicitly because of their gender, but I think that it's... I can't remember now if it was studied only among female teachers or male and female teachers right. female teachers okay. tended to have greater levels of anxiety um, but the idea was that in in some ways those teachers are communicating the that anxiety and in some ways girls in the class specifically the boys clearly aren't internalizing those things or picking up on anything their math grades aren't changing in a, in a detrimental we're way we're pretty dense as a gender <laughs> that we are um, and, you know but it's yeah so so in all sorts of subtle ways we're sort of communicating these these things um, um, something else I think that came to mind was um, this idea about like fixed and growth mindset mm-hmm. sort of stuff, yeah. which it sounds like it, I mean I'm sure you're engaged in teaching philosophies and all that stuff, so you know that stuff. Um, and then something else that came to mind was oh, sort of around this idea of praise. If you're interested, mm-hmm. I'd be I'd love to yeah. hear more about it. It's by no means an area of specialty of mine, but I guess what I know of sort of like child slash educational psychological research is that um, there's this thing called contingencies of self-worth. Um, so basically, it's this idea that kids start to develop a sense of what it requires for them to have strong self-worth, right? It, it is contingent on hitting certain marks, right? And so the idea is that if a kid you know, they do well on one math test or one math problem, and you go around and say, look at that, you're a really smart kid. Now in their head, they have to constantly establish and show, demonstrate over and over and over again that they are smart as a label. And when they don't do that, they they crumble under pressure. And that is that fixed yeah, mindset. Yeah, right. That's thing, very much that fixed sort of thing. And so it's you know, so the the praise always. My understanding is that it's much more effective when it's when it's sort of uh, not just domain specific, but it's like event specific. Like, oh, you did really well on that problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to yeah, saying like you know, and and. This is something that comes to mind, I think, in part because being whenever I'm around other parents, I often hear parents, well-intentioned, giving their kids these very globalized expressions of praise, like, oh, you're such a smart child, oh, you're such a, you know, whatever sort of thing. And, and in some ways, it might not always seem obvious, but you might be setting your kid up for failure in some ways, or at least not being able to rebound as well or react as effectively when they do fail at mm. some task or something like that. Yeah, I'm reading quite a lot of, at the moment about um, about demand okay. um, in uh, neurotypical young people and adults um, and uh, pathological demand avoidance mm. uh, as, a, as a profile and it's really fascinating and I think it has a kind of quite a wide reaching effect if you look at like lots of people and children that you know and it kind of ties into what you're saying really about um kind of setting people up for failure so um a lot of people with PDA profile find praise really distressing Mm. and find it because it's a demand yeah yeah. and you would never unless you're really Mm. thinking about it when you think about it you're like oh yeah of course because it does place a demand on that person to continue to yeah. be that to yeah. continue to live up to that success that praise that model yeah. which is an external model as well it's the adult or the other person yeah. placing something upon them and going i am labeling you as good at this thing yeah. oh crap now i've got this demand that i have to 
be yeah. the person that they've said that I am when actually I might not want to be that person today, yeah. Yeah. even if it's something that they enjoy. So yeah. even if they love running and they just did really well and you know the, the praise is heaped on them and they get that recognition for that that can kill off that love because it's now a demand yeah. which is just so fascinating that yeah. brains can work in that way yeah. Yeah. but it does make sense when you think about it from that perspective yep. yeah yeah there's lots of um so i, I would say alfie Cohn is the is the sort of uh researcher and author who's like have you read any of him he's he's got some really good ones he's got punished by rewards um and um uh, unconditional parenting so this idea that you as much as we might all say i love my child no matter what Mm -hmm. he the example he always gives is um do you react exactly the same way if your child comes in sixth in the school running race as they do if they come in first yeah. you might say before they they do the race i will treat them exactly yeah, the same yeah, right. but you fucking don't <laughs> right yeah. and even if you, you know you're praising them both ways or you're doing whatever so his things are like one is that praise um confers this thing that you need to be externally approved mm-hmm. and whereas he would say if you just highlight what's happened in kind of a neutral way of going like oh you made so and so happy today yeah. or you, you know, or you did, looked like you, you really looked enjoying like you yourself. really enjoyed oh, that yeah, so yeah, then yeah, it's yeah. all internal yeah. stuff yeah. Um, he also has stuff that's uh, subconsciously by giving rewards and praise we assume that the activity isn't worth doing for its own benefit yeah. because why would I get you know why would I get chocolate for it if it was worth doing anyway yeah, you don't get chocolate right. for playing you do get it for doing maths therefore maths must not be worth doing of its own accord Um, and also this just idea that you're particularly the parent-child relationship is I love you differently depending on your actions Mm -hmm. Um, and so his whole thing is kind of if you are very praised you know it is he kind of boils it down to kind of he's like would you give your kid a, a dog biscuit when they do things you like and not give it and then says well praise is verbal dog biscuits it's verbal ruffle on the head and um, and things like time out he you know would say well that's social isolation that's going you do not conform and therefore you must be socially isolated until you conform which for children I mean for all humans socialization is I was you know is the I was reading a thing about um, being the, the word mortified Hmm. originally obviously comes from the French more dying but now we use it to mean embarrassment Hmm. which is an interesting comparison that being socially embarrassed is now akin to a type of death that the social world to humans is so important that being embarrassed is is basically being dead so equally excluding a child socially is the same as death and then that comes into it doesn't it this this idea of like well if there's gender play and people are being excluded uh huh that is a type of death. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah you know, it's, it is. it's a weird thing. It reminds me of some uh, neuroscience research showing that, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, um, the the experience of social rejection, sort of being left out in some ways, being isolated, um, essentially activates parts of your uh, brain that are many of the same areas that get activated when you experience physical pain. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very physical experience. And in fact, uh, again, if I'm remembering this correctly, there's some research to suggest that things like uh, paracetamol can actually help dampen that that activity in your brain resulting from wow. uh, is it the uh, neuro- social neuro- isolation or social rejection. I'm gonna Sorry, is it neuro... neuro- 
norepinephrine. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that is sort of at the at the core of what's activated or okay. turned on or turned off or not. I, I'm not a, a neuroscientist by any means, um, so that's that's about as much as I know of that research. Um, but I mean, yeah, if somebody wanted it, they could look up uh, Naomi Elmer's. I think does some of that research. Um, so, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Naomi Elmer's. It's not Naomi Elmer's. It's somebody else. <laughs> we I could, so we could genuinely talk to you for like hours and hours sure, and hours sure. about yeah, it. It's fun. But is there anything else that you <clears throat> would say from your research that you would go, God, if there's, you know, because there's a few thousand people listening to this who are all in childcare settings, and so yeah. like the intervention things, is there anything you go, God, I, I really wish that more educators knew about doing this to? <sighs> so I guess the. There's two things that come to mind. Um, so one, which we've already sort of talked about, but um, the importance of everybody, parents, teachers, whomever, really ensuring that if they don't want the children around them to develop stereotypical conceptions of themselves and of others, it is not enough to just talk the talk and sort of say, oh, we value everybody equally and blah, 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 that sure, that's fine, but without walking the walk, it's just lip service. And by walking the walk, I mean like showing within your classroom that there is diversity on whatever sort of levels or dimensions or in terms of social group membership that you can think of, whether that's class or religion or whatever, um, that it's really, really important. For parents, equally, that means demonstrating to your kids that your friendship network is diverse. And oftentimes, they're not, right? Mm-hmm. But but sort of uh, demonstrating that fact can speak volumes way more than any, you know, sort mm-hmm. of lip service that, that comes out of your mouth verbally. Um, so walking the walk is really, really important. Do you think that goes as far as, because we were talking about this this morning, weren't we, about um, there's like a fine line between uh, demonstrating diversity in a group I'm not, not so much talking about friendship groups but like in your class so you mm-hmm. give the example of them sort of uh, demonstrating diversity in a class and some children are at the stage where they are I mean in, in one way through what we've been talking about you're never really innocent of these things you always have a preconception of gender or um, race or diversity as a child but in some ways some children are kind of blind to it until mm-hmm. you call their attention to it. Right. And so we were yes. talking about. So I was talking to my do son. Do you yeah. call attention to something? I realised that I had put I my foot in, in in my mouth because I was. Uh, the example was we were listening to as a an album called Young Gifted and Black, okay. and it's a collection of reggae and ska and you know cool. young gifted black musicians. Um, and my three year old was saying what are we listening to and I couldn't because it was lots of people mm-hmm. I went well this is all music by people who have who are musicians who have dark skin brown skin yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and he just was like huh yeah, yeah. partly we live in Devon right the <laughs> yeah, diversity right, 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 here right. is um, for, for, the, for Devon it is 98% of what, in the hubs like Exeter and Plymouth it's 95% yeah. right yeah. smashing it yeah right. um, so I kind of did, and then I was talking about some people we know mm-hmm. that you know and I kind of said well you know this person's got this and this and, and I mentioned um, somebody that he's friends with and I went well because you know this person's got brown skin and yeah. he went what yeah. and I immediately went should I have even brought this up because uh, you right, didn't right, right, see right. anything and now in your head I've 
I've given you a, a distinction bit like between what you're you talking and about between boys and girls. Yeah, you're like yeah. you're you want children to be aware that there is prejudice and that there's a history mm-hmm. and, and that you go that person you know but you don't want to create a stigma create a barrier right and a right 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 yeah so so in that particular example something that comes to mind assuming your kid at this point has not explicitly sort of approached you to have conversations about race or something mm-hmm. like that uh, one thing you might do is say oh it's a bunch of people let me show you some pictures mm-hmm. right and you yeah. show them pictures of all these different artists without making it about their skin color explicitly now that being said at some point Point, I'm, they will come to an age where race is sort of a common topic. You know, our daughter is now five and a half, and we have explicit conversations about race in all sorts of ways in terms of racial protests. We just watched uh, Black Panther together as a family, and we talked mm-hmm. about the importance of there being superheroes who ha- are black, who are yeah. dark-skinned, and that sort of thing. And very explicit conversation. Was that a conversation she initiated, or was that something you... We initiated it because we had already had conversations with her right. about race, and she had started labeling herself as white. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. And for the record, she's uh, biologically a quarter Filipino. Um, in general, her skin seems quite fair or quite white. So I think in a lot of ways, others will perceive her as white. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that's that's sort of where yeah, she's yeah. at with, with that sort of stuff. So, um, so to say, my understanding of that body of research is that walking the walk is always a good thing to do. Talking the talk is where it gets a little bit finer of a line to play, depending on whether or not these categories, whether it be gender or race, are already salient in your kid's head. They're already actively working out what those things mean. And if they are at that stage, talk the talk, mm-hmm. you know, make it quite explicit. Um, but prior to that, just just sort of demonstrate it sort of organically, if you will. Because I think that will be a thing that lots of people will be... So, because Forest School is um, holistic and we're pulling in all parts of children's lives and going we want to, you know... We don't want to just go, actually, we're only here to talk about maths. We're yeah. only here to talk about literature. You know, yeah. everything comes with you, yeah. when, you go, when you come to forest school. And so there'll be lots of people, I think, navigating conversations about racial protests and mm-hmm. racial equity at the moment. And they will be trying to think about how do we have that conversation, um, you know, without making it you know like you, like you say if they yeah. if some of your group are having that and some of your group aren't and how do you yeah you know a kid is coming to school and potentially uh, to your forest school sessions and potentially their home life is we're going to watch these protests we're going to really engage with this because yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is our community and this is whatever and then you come to forest school and you we've got to navigate that yeah you know? right right yeah. i quite like your example about looking at pictures so that might be a, a case of let's learn about this together rather than pretending to be an expert on it or giving because that's another th- uh, mm. role that you are as a as an adult working with young people is that um, and teachers often get tarred with this kind of like oh you're being too political you're politicising these children mm. you are generally left wing you're generally liberal you are kind of brainwashing them with this stuff and in one way you kind of go okay well like yeah but I probably should be quite neutral in other ways you're like no god damn it like I know this is right and so I want to especially when they are um, as you say experiencing in the rest of their lives maybe some kind of you can't pretend it's not happening and some viewpoints which may actually nowadays be illegal and that's quite yeah. helpful to be able to say that yeah, if a child yeah, yeah. you know especially a teenager um, gives an opinion in a class and you go um I'm afraid you can't voice that opinion because if you said that in the workplace you would be fired that's actually a prejudice mm. you know and my job here is to help you understand that so that you don't yeah. make that mistake in later in life yeah. you know but yeah. things where it's more of a grey area how you kind of tackle that in a delicate non 
um, you know, you don't want to make them feel bad because they may just be repeating stuff they've yeah. heard yeah. or, you know, the yeah. influences that they have in life. But right. I quite like that kind of thing of, oh, let's, let's learn about it together. Yeah. Let's look at, you know, and we've talked a bit about... Um, we want to talk a bit about screens at Forest School so you know, some people are very much like no mobile phones no screens yeah. other times like we inevitably I'd say probably like once a fortnight we will one or other of us will use yeah. a screen in order to demonstrate something mm. that we you know, because you would just... need such an enormous library in that shed to, to be able to <laughs> yeah. go right, right, right. what even yeah. is this thing yeah. or how does that relate to you know and because Forest School is so all encompassing if you want to talk to the kids about like an Egyptian shadoof pulley system yeah. well you can keep a book on Egyptians going or you can just go look my phone has the internet yeah. that's yeah, what yeah, it yeah. is and I used yeah. to defer yeah. that to that in the classroom in terms of um, uh, like the Brexit vote for example mm. that was coming up and I'm getting questions about it all the time from my tutor group and quite a lot of quite very firm opinions that you know are coming out of parents mouths and the rest of it so I had my own very strong views about it but I didn't really want to go blah, 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 blah. so you can defer to you've got the internet you've got a great big whiteboard you can go okay we're going to watch children's news round here, here are you know BBC biased non-biased mm. that's another topic yeah. but um, <laughs> this is a piece of media that has been created for your age, your age. Yeah. let's watch it together and yeah. learn and yeah. not you know and then we can talk about it afterwards but i'm not kind of going well let me exp- let me explain how the world is yeah yeah but is yeah. that would that be different if uh so you and i just talked quite comfortably about our experience of being men in parenting situations and childcare <laughs> settings so would that be different if uh if you had a leader who was from that minority group one their experience with that with an issue might be different you know mm-hmm. someone who's um, non cisgendered mm-hmm. and that that topic comes up they might not want to be impartial and go well let's look at this well, resource together yeah you know well yeah and that makes sense and I have uh, an acquaintance who I don't know anymore but who got in trouble at school for uh, he was gay mm-hmm. and he had some questions in class about his sexuality and he answered the questions quite honestly and he got in big trouble with his employers wow. with the head teacher was really called in pulled up on it and this is after um, section 28 that um, forbade the promotion mm. of homosexuality in UK schools put in the bin only really recently mm. um, and you know his experience of that was very different to as you describe you know somebody who is heterosexual having those questions and the way that they might respond because yeah. how can it be yeah, you know yeah. how can it be balanced and you know especially if the questions you're getting from these young people are about things yeah. that are very personal to you yeah yeah I, yeah personally i think yeah the idea of being of you know sort of providing students with a variety of different perspectives and ideas is always good and always valuable and that sort of thing but i do think at sometimes there there does have to be sort of a line where it's not even so much like necessarily a personal sort of like moral or ethical judgment that you're placing on sort of those different perspectives in terms of which are right or wrong, but sometimes, you know, it might even suffice to just put them in historical context as to why you think, you know, like, you know, on issues of sexuality or on Brexit or certain political issues or whatever, why it's important to to sort of give historical context to why certain individuals have not had the same opportunities that other individuals have, have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, for somebody to get called out or reamed out for, for sort of 
advocating for certain viewpoints is really unfortunate. I would also say, like, if anybody th thinks that they're being genuinely neutral out there, they ought pull their heads out of their ass. <laughs> nobody, yeah. is, nobody is neutral. Nobody is perfectly neutral. An effort should be made to demonstrate lots of views, but but nobody's perfectly neutral on these matters. Um, so, yep. And, mm. and, and, and even worse, to just be silent about it, to suggest, oh, no, we shouldn't talk about those things, just is like you're, you're just like throwing your kids to the wolves, if you will, of like mm. trying to figure that shit out on their own, and they're gonna be picking up information somewhere. Um, yeah. And why not engage with that? Yeah, you know? and yeah. that same book that I mentioned earlier, The OK Not to Share, has lots of examples about that, like, um, and it has like little almost <clears throat> kind of scripts that you can follow. So your kid asks you about sex, for example, how do you respond? And her argument is exactly that. Well, first of all, you need to ask exactly what are they asking you. So yeah. don't go, okay, okay, it's open, I'm gonna tell you everything and really freak you out. And that could yeah. be applied to anything about, mm. you know, conversations about gender or um, or race or anything that you might get fielded as a for a school or leader or someone working with yeah. children. What is it actually they're asking so that you can pitch your response to the level that's appropriate for them yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, but not, as you say, shutting it down and allowing them to pick up their opinions about gay people, black people, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. what is right or wrong about gender norms uh, from other children or other adults or, yeah, shitty yeah. TV shows, as you say. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is better to address it and not And there's some it. movement, isn't there? I would say, it's particularly this year, there's been some shitty TV shows that have gone ah, okay we're going to get rid of this one okay. we're going to remove this from the pool and wow. so that is quite helpful I think to just go like to not go okay we'll keep it for historical posterity and uh, uh, we'll keep that statue up because yeah. whatever to just go look we'll put it somewhere you can go see it if you yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. open it but maybe we shouldn't you know, yeah. on mainstream TV in the middle of the day, have this kind of portrayal, or right. in the middle right. of a city, we shouldn't have this person that yeah, offends yeah, yeah, like yeah, half yeah. the population. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and um, Strictly Come Dancing, which mm. is happening this year, I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, same sex couples this year. Cool. Yeah. cool. yeah, I mean, that is like a milestone in terms of like that is something that a huge percentage of UK households are going to be watching. Yeah. And mm. You know, everyone loves dancing, which is great, but there is so much gendered stuff in there. There's so yeah. much kind of like the male leads and all that kind of thing and the kind of ballroom formalities. And they've kind of been getting more and more relaxed in terms of like the style of dancing and yeah. the rules and that kind of thing. Um, but to have same sex couples as part of the show from the get go rather than, oh, it's a special edition where we're doing yeah, this, right, flipping right, right, things right. up. It's just yeah. like, yeah, that's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a good, did you see the, um, the VMAs this uh -oh. year are being hosted by. This is awful. I can't remember, the, but but they were advertising it as the VMAs this year will be hosted for the first time by a black woman. Yeah. yeah. And the comment underneath it was, first black anything in 2020 is embarrassing." Huh, you know, just yeah, to be like, yeah. you shouldn't be proud of it at this point. At this yeah. point, you're playing catch up. Yeah, you shouldn't right, be right. going like, "Hey, aren't we a front runner? Yeah. Aren't we doing this thing?" And it was like, just kind of go, "Okay." We're just doing it now. We're right, just right, right. keeping it going. Yeah, um, yeah, and and yeah, that that does seem like an important aspect of it. Of it, you know, making it not like a special edition, sort of a mm. unique thing, and and enabling people's brains to sort of almost subtype it as like, oh, we're doing this special thing where there's going to be same sex couples, but then we're going to go back to the other thing mm -hmm. that that was all heteronormative, yeah. right? But you just normalize it. Yeah. You don't make it, you know, yeah, sort of a, mm. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, again, we could talk for hours yeah. and hours and hours. Yeah. But yeah. Um, thank you for yeah, coming thank in. Thank you. So no, thanks. Thank it's you. been awesome. Yeah, Is there great. anything you would say, like, mm -hmm. people could go and read this book or they should go and 
can, should people come and look at your work or what sort of I things can, can I at? could um, post various resources yeah. um, if you want. Yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah, yeah. there's some cool stuff. Also some stuff about single-sex schools, uh, which I think is interesting. Oh. Only because Ooh, they're I went quite to a single popular. Sex school. In I taught in a single-sex school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, John could have been my teacher. <laughs> we worked out by like one, by like one year. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> if I'd yeah. been allowed to teach A-levels, which I wasn't. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, some some interesting stuff on uh, yeah some some stuff. Yeah, they're not okay. But, but long and short okay. of yeah, same sex schools is and or even same sex classrooms is like it seems like they're they're well intentioned in a lot of ways, but it's not the most productive way of going about uh, developing really sort of like supportive classroom environments. It's essentially like trying to, you know, it's often thought of as a way, like, uh, to address, you know, issues where, for example, girls might experience sexism and that sort of thing, if boys are around and that sort of thing. And again, this uh, developmental psychologist, Rebecca Bigler, would say that, like, the intention is sometimes good, but actually what you're doing is you're removing the sex, not the ism. Right, mm. and so, and and not to mention that by isolating a particular gender, you're also making gender a super super salient yeah. thing yeah. in lots of ways. And then they go out everywhere else in the world and see this, and they you know all sorts of ramifications. I only recently realised that um, you know reflected on my own education, and when because I went to a single sex school, the um, it's not sex ed, but you know when they go like just so you know, lads, your voices are going to change, and you might get a bit hairy. And I was told nothing about um, yeah, other yeah. body types. Yeah and, yeah. and not even in a way of like, wow. you will have friends who are girls. Girls will exist for the rest of your life. Yeah, and right, you should right, probably right. know about these. It was like, yeah. none of you have got a vagina that we're aware of. So you don't need to know about them. Yeah. They don't even know. That's the thing, isn't I it? I don't know it's anything. Like... I came out of secondary school genuinely with some pretty fucked up holes in my knowledge that yeah, yeah. you know shouldn't really have existed. And if anything... They could have been a better space because we could have asked questions without offending anyone. That was mm-hmm. my take on it. Was like, you know, you might be in a mixed classroom and go, God, I don't want to ask that because what if I offend that person or that person? But if you go right, there's nobody here, right, you know. But that's yeah. also based space. on the assumption that, as you say, everybody's gender is binary. Right. And exactly. You are yeah. a boy, so you go to a boy school. Like, yeah. what room is there in that environment to question that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. there will be, you know, in, the, in terms of numbers and probability, there are going to be several students in an right. average school yeah. who are not gender binary. Yeah. And how yeah. are they made to feel when they're in that environment? Yeah. 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 It, it, it seems like the other, uh, you know, sort of camp of proponents of single sex schools is because they think that, like, boys and girls learn in fundamentally different ways, mm. and that's pseudoscience. Mm. It's like, it's yeah. yeah. Um, and um, there's something else. We were told that. Uh, uh, single sex schools again we were told that single sex schools met on average made the girls perform 30% better academically uh-huh. and boys 3% better and okay. it was this idea that like you weren't distracted yeah, and that right, you know right, right. that we weren't a distraction to the girls and that we should probably just be kept on our own in a little box there's definitely something about working in an all boys school and teaching subjects like English which mm. we talked about being kind of feminine um, and teaching that to boys in the boys' school. I'm generalising, but from my own personal experience, the boys in the boys' school engaged with that subject in a, a sort of stronger way than they did yep. in the mixed gender school 
but I think that was also a sign of boys in a mixed gender school generally and also actually you can't make a fair comparison because the school the, the single set school in London multicultural in a very like thriving bustling yeah, like yeah. go-getting environment of yeah. like success was just so highly prized that it drove yeah. a lot of students to just like be super focused on their studies and you know yeah. go yeah. for it whereas uh, you know school in rural England a lot of issues going on that weren't addressed there was no money for those issues to be addressed a lot of social stuff going on where the boys were very um, non-engaged yeah, with yeah. basically everything so it wasn't right. just English right, so right. now I can kind of backtrack on what I'm saying there. anyway no, yeah. no, no, yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and that's the thing right there's lots of really really good single sex schools right but is it because of the segregation of sex or because they have really great resources and really great mm-hmm. teachers and all sorts of other things but people make misattributions to what makes that school high quality yeah. and it's mm-hmm may not be and quite often you know single sex schools in this country are uh, you know pass pass an exam to get in so you start uh, yeah. you, you start creaming right, right, off right, and right, then you right. go grammar yeah. schools are you know yeah. I went to grammar school and it was like you know you push 80% better you're like yeah if you take all the these <laughs> yeah, kids out right, of right. mainstream education and then go yeah. well our school's better like, yeah. you took the you just cherry picked yeah. yeah all the yeah. highest exactly. performers and yeah. I proved them wrong <laughs> <laughs> even if there's no exam to get in by so I worked also in an all girls school which was a faith school a Christian school and accepted um, girls from all over London so people were travelling for an hour on the tube every day to get there but had to prove that they went to church they had to like someone had to assess oh. them and their family which even to jump through that hope even though it's not based on academic ability it is based on a, pe- a family giving a shit enough about their kids education to prove to the people yeah. that they are doing the thing and doing right. the thing and actually the financial ability to be able to set aside time from their from mm. their lives and go we are going to the church and yeah. their confidence to be able to you know even if they're not religious to kind of go yeah. through that entire process just to yeah. get their kid into a school so you've already got that kind of yeah as you said kind of creaming off haven't yeah, you yeah. going yeah. on absolutely yeah. one of the things I'll, I'll give you a link to is an interview with Rebecca Bigler talking about uh, single sex schools and she briefly discusses this big meta-analysis of all these studies looking at performance of boys and girls in co-educational versus single sex schools and essentially says when you control for the quality of students performance at, at baseline coming into mm. it you see basically very little to no difference and sort of the quality of performance of, of students when you take all these other factors into account. Mm. Have uh, you got any um, recommendations apart from um, her in terms of... Um, so I've had conversations with uh, an acquaintance of mine who was a neuroscientist. I think that's the right her job. Anyway, she was super amazing in terms of like actual brain science between yeah. boys and girls and so all the kind of studies that I pedal out about like oh but boys naturally play with wheel toys with wheels and all yeah, she's yeah. like every one of those studies is shit yeah. like, and I can <laughs> yeah. prove it to you, you yeah. can, once you control for blah 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 yeah. boys and girls brains are essentially the same until a certain age X, Y, Z um, do you have any kind of studies about that kind of thing that might be of interest to people working with yeah. children so um, one thing that uh, would be quite accessible I think it is um, and I can't remember the name of the book but it's a book about uh, neuroscience and gender uh, written by Cordelia Fine mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's a, a good book mm. to get into and then I'll also post maybe a link um, to a TED talk 
um, that's talking about epigenetics, mm -hmm. right? Which mm -hmm. I think is an important no, sort of new yeah. sort of area that, that sort of dismantles this notion that like, oh, people have a fixed set of genetics and, and that is what it's going to be and that will determine the rest of your life. But yeah. no, those things mm -hmm. are affected by your environment. Yeah. Um, and so um, that might also be good to... It's almost yeah, like great. genetics were invented by people who wanted to keep other people down and tell them <laughs> that they could never do it. It's almost as yeah. if. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's, you know, again, it's like, you know, early stages of genetics research, probably, you know, like all of us do, we're trying to put things in very rudimentary, simple boxes and, yeah. and you know, without a more thorough understanding of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you oh, so it was great. much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Cheers. Cool. If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast. <laughs>